Podcast pals from WHYY and BillyPenn.com. It is hitting season. I'm your host, John Stolness from The Good Fight. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolness. Coming up, we're going to recap the first two games of this Phillies Cub series in which the Phillies took both games and clinched the series win, uh, continuing their red hot play on the road. But yet, something about this team just doesn't feel quite right to me. So we'll get into that coming up here in just a few minutes. But we don't want this to be a negative podcast because the Phillies are in the midst of one of their best stretches in more than a decade. We'll break down some of the numbers. Should Ranger Suarez be the next Phillies pitcher to get a big money deal extension? And what would it look like? Also, I'm going to throw a little praise for Philly Rob out as we've watched a couple other National League contenders absolutely hit the skids and the the crumbling of those clubhouses. Plus, we will open up the hit and season mailbag and answer some of your questions. We had uh, one person submit a question through the voice memo system uh, to our email, and so we'll hear from that question. Uh, the rest of them all came from Twitter. So getting to all that stuff coming up here on this edition of Hit and Season. But first, I want to encourage you to check out our website at billypen.com, our landing page there, billypen.com slash hit and season, where you'll find uh, some writing from me and from Justin and from others involved here with the uh, with the Hit and Season podcast. It's also where our podcasts are kept. So uh, make sure to check out billypen.com slash hit and season for all things Hit and Season. And of course, please leave a five-star rating and a review for Hit and Season, the Hit and Season podcast at Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends and family if they're Phillies fans about the pod if you haven't done so already. And you know what? Grab their phone and subscribe for them if they're not doing it on their own. Sometimes you just have to take the bull by the horns and get this stuff done, friends. Uh, So that's what I would encourage you to do. And uh, hopefully they will join us uh, on this mad journey of uh, of Phillies idiots here as we (laughs) continue to devote our lives to this baseball team. But hey, right now things are going well for the Phils. They took the the first two games of this series, this three-game series in Chicago against the Cubs. You'll remember last year, they went into Wrigley Field late in the season. I think it was the third to last series of the season, and they were still dealing with the Milwaukee Brewers for that third and final wild card. And based on the way the Phillies were playing in that Chicago series, it looked like the Brewers were going to catch them. It was only really it was only because the Brewers collapsed that they didn't overtake the Phillies for that third wild card. But I, you know, I went on a rampage on the podcast right after that uh, right after that series when you you know it was crunch time the Phillies are on the verge of ending their 10 years their their 10 year playoff drought and here they are playing some of their worst baseball of the season against a Cubs team that really owned them last year the Cubs won all 6 games against the Phillies last year and they swept them in Wrigley right at the end of the season but of course we now remember the Phillies righted the ship in a monsoon four game series against the Washington Nationals in DC and then uh went to Houston and uh, did what they needed to do uh, to win that first game and and clinch the wild card spot so the Phillies come back to Wrigley Field playing much better baseball and they are now 17 and 5 since June 2nd, the Phillies have now won eight games in a row. Eight games ago, you'll remember, they had the second worst road record in baseball. They are now 10-1 and in their last 11 road games. Now, the Phillies have not seen this kind of success in a very long time. Even last year when they got really hot, 
They have won 17 of 22 games at 17 and 5 record for the first time since July 30th through August 23rd of 2011, the 102 win season. The last of those great seasons uh, from the from that Phillies core from 2007 to 2011. It's also the first time they've won 10 of 11 road games since that same stretch, July 20th through August 10th, 2011. It it just doesn't feel to me like they're playing that great. I you know, and and maybe it's because they aren't gaining a whole lot of ground in the playoff race. Corey Seidman noted that the Phillies are 17 and seven in June, but will have lost three games of ground to the Braves in the National League East, and that's because the Braves have been absolutely insane here in the month of June. Uh, they've gone, uh, let's see, 20 and four. In the month of June, while the Phillies have gone 17 and 7, and the Marlins are, I think, one game better than the Phillies in June. I think they're 18 and 6 here. So, I mean, it's just, it's it's crazy that uh, the Phillies have lost three ga- games of ground to the Braves and a half game to the Marlins during the same stretch. And the Marlins won again on Wednesday. They beat the Boston Red Sox and continue to to hold a three-game lead on, on the Phillies in the National League East. Uh, they have the same record this month as the, the Giants, a team that they're also chasing in the wildcard race. So you have all these teams in the wildcard race all playing red-hot baseball here in June, and the Phillies really have not been able to gain any ground. And maybe that's why this feels unsatisfying. But as Corey Seidman notes, the flip side of this is that they'd be eight games back of the wildcard if they'd played just 500 baseball in the month of June. So maybe that's why it feels like the team still isn't hitting on all cylinders. And I know that I I know that I've been annoying people on Twitter because I've been negative about this baseball team. Way more negative than a person should be when their baseball team has gone 17 and 5 in their last 22 games. I, I own that. I, I do understand that. I admit that. And I don't know. I don't that's what I'm saying. I don't really know where that's coming from. It, it could be because they're they're not making up any ground in the playoff race. It could also be because so many of the stars on this team are still struggling. They still aren't playing up to snuff. Kyle Schwarber is still not giving you enough. Even here in June, he's still not giving you enough. He seems to do great in the leadoff spot, that first at-bat of the game, and then after that, it's it's a real struggle for him. Bryce Harper still hasn't hit a home run, and, and the, his home run streak has reached epic, epic proportions now. It's now at 27 games. I mean, that's just, that's crazy to think about, but a, no home runs in his last 27 games. Uh, I think that's now 123 plate appearances. He's never had a longer streak. Uh, And uh, note by uh, uh, Scott Lauber in a Philadelphia Inquirer story, notes that his exit velocity is down one mile an hour to 91 miles an hour this year. Last year it was 92.1. The season before that it was 92.5 miles an hour. That's according to StatCast. Uh, and we, we've talked on previous podcasts how his fly ball rate has dropped a little bit from last year. It's 24.5% compared to about 26% last year. So about a, a 1.5% difference. He's hitting more balls on the ground. But uh, again, we I still believe that he's recovering from his, his elbow. He had a ball to the warning track in center field in his final at-bat on Wednesday that I really do believe probably would have left the ball yard in other seasons, or maybe he wasn't working himself back. But I, I, it's I, nobody's really sure exactly what's going on with Harper, but he's a guy who's been struggling. JT Rail Muto, and this is a lot of this is with runners on base. Are just are just struggling like crazy. Alec Bohm is struggling like crazy. Trey Turner 
has had a decent month of June, but not an all-star caliber month of June. Like he has, no one on offense outside of Nick Castellanos has gotten wildly hot for any extended period of time. And I'm not talking for a week. You know, it's you, any any hitter can get hot for a week or two. But I mean like carrying you for a month or two. Like we like we did see JT Real Muto do last year. Like we saw Bryce Harper do at times last year. Like we saw Kyle Schwarber do at times last year. They None of those guys have done that yet. It just hasn't happened. And in these first couple games of the series against the Cubs, they've really had to rely on the guys at the bottom of the order, the Brandon Marshes of the world, Edmundo Sosa's, Josh Harrison's. These guys have all gotten really big hits in these first two games. And they, of course, have been relying on outstanding starting pitching. And I remember back in 2011, as the Phillies were winning 102 games, that team seemed less satisfying and less enjoyable than the 2008 and 2009 teams in the regular season. Inferior teams, to be sure, but I think when we watch an offense struggle, when we watch star players on offense struggle to score runs, it's harder to watch the team. I don't think we enjoy great starting pitching as much as we do a great offense, and maybe that's why I'm having a harder time feeling like there isn't something missing, because it feels like there's something missing. But as somebody pointed out on Twitter, and it made, they made a good point, that the fact that they are 17 and five when it, it does seem that they're not hitting on all cylinders means that there maybe is some room for growth still. Like if the starting pitching can continue this, can keep this up, right? And then the offense actually starts to come around, it could get, the Phillies could get scary good. But it's just, it's it's questionable as to whether or not that's gonna have it. So, um whether that's going to happen. So I, you know, we'll, we'll see, but I, it just, I know that I'm, I'm being, I'm expecting too much and it's probably not fair. So let's start with Wednesday night's eight to five win. the Phillies were up eight to one in this one, thanks to an early barrage against former Phil Drew Smiley, who was just looping up some breaking balls that Edmundo Sosa and Nick Castellanos crushed out of the ballpark. Nick Castellanos with a three run home run. Again, only the fourth home run hit this year with multiple base runners. I mean, it's still the second fewest in baseball they get behind only the Kansas City Royals, but it's it's so good to see. And it feels weird. Like you see a three-run home run, you're like, wow, they can they can score three at once like that? That's that's pretty amazing. And um it was it certainly it certainly makes life a whole lot easier on everybody when you can hit that three-run home run and just get get them up on the board without having to string together four, five, six singles in order to score three runs. So that was great to see. Aaron Nola struggled again. Pitched five innings. He did pick up the win, but he had an eight to one lead and and was not um, able to give them any any more than just the five innings. Had a hundred and a hundred pitches in five innings, which just you know it, it's it's not great. It's just not great. I mean, I don't I don't really. It, it's and I you got to give him. I'm going to give Aranola a little bit of slack here because he has been pitching deep into games. Scott Lauber also noted on Twitter that it's the first time since April 11th that he did not complete at least six innings. That was the longest streak in the majors and the second longest of his career. So even as he has struggled, he has pitched deep into games, but it's it's these it's these blow-up innings. It's these innings where he gets in the stretch, some runners get on base, and he just cannot pitch from the stretch. He is, we've said it, you know, we, we've said all we need to say about Nola in previous podcasts, and until he figures this out, he's the team's number four starter right now. Until he fixes these issues from the stretch, he's not going to get his ERA to come down all that much, and it's at 4.51 on the season. 
That free agent contract this offseason is looking worse and worse with every start. And that's not something that I enjoy saying. But he's not improving. This should have been a this should have been a game where he just cruises, and maybe that's another reason why I, I don't I, I feel a little like something's off about this team, even as they go seventeen and five. So, Aranola being kind of a, a shaky mess, it doesn't seem like it's sustainable if Aranola doesn't figure things out. If this if this offense doesn't figure things out, but credit Matt Strom with stopping the Cubs' momentum in the game on Wednesday. He gave them two really good innings of shutout relief, four strikeouts and no walks in those two innings. Junior Marte pitched a scoreless eighth, and Jose Alvarado had a little adventure in the ninth, but with a four-run lead, gave up just one run. Uh, poor JT Realmuto, he took a foul ball. Off the coconuts, um, luckily wearing a cup, which is always good. But you know those things are not impervious. <laughs> and my poor man was was on the ground for uh, a good three or four minutes uh, before you know getting back up. And he wasn't right for the rest of the inning. There was like a, a wild pitch and a pass ball, and uh, he was just getting beat up back there trying to catch Jose Alvarado's stuff. And Alvarado's actually gotten hit around a little bit uh, since he returned from the injured list. Uh, Corey Seidman tweeted that opponents have hit 303 with a 425 on base percentage in his nine appearances since coming back from the injured list. However, um, like he did tonight, he's been able to get out of it without giving up uh, too many runs. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think I, I, what I just kind of have to accept in my heart is that just just beat the subpar teams, beat the teams that you should beat and you'll be in good shape. And that's what the Phillies did here on Wednesday night. It's also what they did on Tuesday night when they won five to one. Brandon Marsh hit two home runs in the series opener and Trey Turner and Castellanos each added RBI singles in a, a very easy and breezy five to one win. And that in that game, yes, Brandon Marsh was the offensive hero, but the real star of the game was my new favorite Philly Ranger Suarez, but we'll talk about Ranger more here in just a second. Marsh has been riding the roller coaster this year. In April, remember he had an OPS of 1066. It's hard to remember. It's hard to forget. It's easy to forget. I'll say how insanely good he was in April. Four home runs, seven doubles, four triples, uh, 28 to 13 strikeout to walk ratio. He had 329 with a 418 on base and a 647 slugging percentage in April. And then from May to June 10th. In 116 plate appearances, he hit. He went from hitting 329 in April to hitting 194 after that. His on-base percentage was 418 in April. He had an on-base percentage of 287 from May to June 10th with a 245 slugging percentage, a 532 OPS, half the OPS that he had in April, with just one home run and two doubles in a month and ten days, and he had the same number of walks but 44 strikeouts over that time. But now in his last six games, as he's gotten a run against right-handed pitchers, he did not play in the game on on Wednesday because Drew Smiley, the lefty, um, allowed Christian Pache to get into the lineup. But uh, in the six games before that, he started against all right-handers, and he hit he 600 with a 636 on base and a 1050 slugging percentage for a 1686 OPS with those two doubles on Tuesday night, uh, those two home runs, pardon me, on Tuesday night and three doubles. And looking at the, the Fangraphs leaderboard, Marsh currently ranks sixth among Major League Baseball center fielders in wins above replacement at 2.0, and he has tops on the Phillies in wins above replacement. His overall numbers for the season are all-star caliber. 283, 365, 469 with a weighted runs created of 124. Uh, he's got eight home runs, and pardon me, seven home runs, 32 runs scored, and 32 RBIs. Great numbers for a center fielder, and hopefully he can just be a little bit more consistent as the season rolls along. I also mentioned Ranger Suarez. 
I, I really do think he's my new favorite Philly. I like, I think I like Ranger Suarez more than any other player on the sport on the team because he he's, I love the, how cool he is. I love how effortless he makes pitching look. He does remind me a lot of Cliff Lee in that way. Um, just how casual he is fielding grounders back, back in the box and how he throws guys out at first base, like just so nonchalantly and cool. And those first three starts of the season when he was coming off the injured list, clearly he was just trying to find himself. And in the month of June, he could be the National League pitcher of the month. On Tuesday, he went seven and a third innings. That's right. He pitched into the eighth inning, gave up just one earned run in that eighth inning, uh, gave up four hits in the game, one walk and eight strikeouts. The strikeout numbers are piling up because he's just, he's painting the corners down in the zone. It's a, just such a beautiful thing to watch. And he's so fluid and quick and efficient. He's just, he's just a joy. And his personality is, is just fantastic. His season ERA is now down to 3.18 and check out these numbers over his last six starts, 40 innings. He's given up six earned runs for a 1.35 ERA over his last six starts, a 37 to 10 strikeout to walk ratio, a 0.975 whip. He finished June with a 1.08 ERA in the month. Destiny Legardo, a Phillies Nation, noted he's the first Phillies pitcher since Aaron Nola in August of 2018. Remember, that was the year Nola finished third in the Cy Young voting. To post an ERA below 1.10 across 30 innings pitched in a single month. And he's one of only five Phillies pitchers to do it since 1966. What we've seen is in 2011, Cliff Lee stuff, although we have to put that in a whole different category. Lee gave up one run over 42 innings in one at one stretch in 2011 and threw three straight complete game shutouts. Now, nobody's ever going to do that again. Nobody's ever going to throw st- three straight complete game shutouts. Managers just won't allow it to happen. Um, and we've talked all season about Aaron Nola getting a contract extension, but maybe it's Suarez we should be considering doling the money out too. Now, the Phillies have him under team control for two more years after this one, but locking him down long-term would likely keep the cost down for the 27-year-old rather than waiting. And I think we have a mailbag question on this coming up here in just a few minutes, so I'll save more details on the contract stuff for that question. But this guy is my favorite player. If I had to get a Phillies jersey right now, it'd be Ranger Suarez because I just think the dude is so cool and the way he's pitching right now is, is just phenomenal. One other thing before we get to the mailbag, and I want to give credit to Sixto Lescano on Twitter at MLeaf. No, this is not the player, uh, former player Sixto Lescano, but um, it's a, a Twitter follower who I've uh, been, who's been a follower and who I followed for uh, a number of years now, good Phillies tweeter. Uh, and he uh, was reacting to something that I tweeted about uh, Rob Thompson and, and the good job that he's doing. And I wanted to react to something that, that he replied back to me with on Twitter. He said, uh, looking at the buy a winner teams, the Padres and Mets are imploding and at each other's throats in the process, which makes it all the more remarkable that the Phillies seem to actually like each other during the rough times and subsequently pull through them. And I think that was a very interesting perspective on this because we talk again, we've mentioned this before on previous podcasts, we've talked about what is it that managers do? How do managers actually help? How do they add wins in the ledger sheet? Because last year, when the Mets were winning a bunch of ball games, everybody was praising Buck Showalter, the smartest guy. There's not a detail he doesn't miss. And now there are open questions literally 365 days later as to whether or not he should survive the season. 
as this as the Mets manager. He's getting snippy with reporters, backhanded, uh, smarmy little comments, little little I know more than you. We talked about this on the last podcast, and the Phillies were going through it just as much as the Mets and the Padres were in May. They were in the same boat, uh, not quite as bad as the Cardinals, but certainly in the same boat as the Mets and the Padres. But the Phillies found their way through it, and as you know, as M. Leaf mentions on, uh, it's it's uh, they didn't. The, the, the clubhouse didn't fracture. You didn't have players blaming each other. You still had every time, even though they weren't winning, winning many games, when they would win a game and Phillies television is interviewing whatever player was the player of the game, the, the, the daycare, Stott and Bohm, uh come out and they pour ice water down the guy's shirts. I and mean, they're, still, they're still doing the fun stuff. And that's important. Because here in, in New York, you have rumors that Max Scherzer would be open to a trade away from New York if the Mets fall completely out of contention. There are rumors that the Padres clubhouse is a cauldron of finger pointing and blame gaming and sniping at each other. And the Padres lost again to the Pirates on Wednesday night. They are eight games out of the wild card at 37 and 43. It is hard to believe that they won't sell at the trade deadline. I, I, don't, I don't know that they have a choice and there could be some decent players to poach. Could they make Juan Soto available in trade? And would the Phillies be interested in something like that? He's under team control through next year. Now, when it's time to when it's time to negotiate his contract extension, I, I don't know if John Middleton could afford that. Um, even next year on his arbitration deal, he's actually signed a one-year deal with the Padres this year, so they avoided arbitration. But um, you would think the Phillies might do the same thing, or if they make a trade, the Phillies might want to negotiate. But either way, he's going to cost 25 to $30 million next year, at least, even if they don't agree to a trade, a contract deal with him. And you'd probably have to give up Andrew Painter and a whole lot else in order to get Juan Soto from San Diego. So um, there's that. And I don't know that San Diego wants to give up, but the Padres... You know, that's a small market. They did spend a lot of money. The owner wants to spend money, and that's an awesome thing. We've been praising the Padres all offseason for doing that. But at a certain point, you realize this isn't working. This isn't going to work. The chemistry, for whatever reason, it got them to the to the National League Championship Series last year, but it's not working here in 2023. What is it? Is it the return of Fernando Tatis? Is that fouling things up? Manny Machado is a shell of the player he was last year. Tatis is playing phenomenal baseball on the field. Machado's been terrible on the field. After a really slow start, Juan Soto has picked it up, and he's been one of the most valuable players in the game in terms of wins above replacement. So I wonder if they would move Juan Soto because I don't know that the Padres are going to sign him to a long-term deal. They've already inked long deals with Tatis and with Machado. Can they do another 11-year deal worth $400 million? They've already got two of those with Tatis and Machado. I don't know that they can. And if this year is going to be a lost year, I mean, maybe you keep him and get another run at it next year. If I'm their GM, that's probably what I end up doing, unless a team's going to blow me out of the water with a deal. And with the Phillies, that's got to be Andrew Painter and a whole lot else. And I don't, as much as I would love to see, to see the Phillies add Juan Soto and upgrade in left field, that would be a tough pill to swallow for a team that is looking for young talent. But I mean, Juan Soto's young talent. Juan Soto's like 24 still. So um, it's it's an interesting question. And I don't know that the Padres would make him available. But the, qu the question you have to ask yourself is, would you give up Andrew Painter for Juan Soto? I can't think of many players in baseball I would give up Andrew Painter for. Juan Soto might be one of them. He's that good. 
And so that's something to consider, but I don't know that it would ever come to anywhere close to fruition. But uh, also you look at the Mets, Steve Cohen, the Mets owner, who's spending $340 million on payroll this year, spoke about the state of the team before their loss to the Brewers on Wednesday. He said he's staying the course for now with the manager and the general manager. So it sounds like Buck Showalter and the GM are safe, but changes could be coming. It sure sounds like the Mets could be sellers at the trade deadline. They absolutely should be. They are 36 and 44, eight games under 500, and they are nine games back of the third wild card. Now, it's unlikely they'd trade anything that could really help the Phillies. And frankly, if you're looking for outfield help, I'm not enamored with the Tommy Pham, Starling Marte combination they've got out there in left and right field. That's not appetizing in the slightest. Uh, if you're looking at potential Outfield options, right-handed outfield options. Washington's Lane Thomas is an intriguing outfield name. Uh, you've got Boston's Adam Duvall. He sounds like he would be an obvious choice uh, to come aboard. There's some Dave Dabrowski connections there. Um, but both of those guys, I think, could be had in trades here at the trade deadline. And Dave Dabrowski spoke before the Phillies game on Wednesday uh, and gave an update on Bryce Harper's return to the field to play first base and how it could affect the trade market. It still looks like Harper's return to the field to play first base is likely after the All-Star break, which is really just a couple of weeks away. It's coming up pretty fast. And while Dombrowski admitted it's possible that Harper won't be able to return until after the trade deadline, Dombrowski thinks he will be out there before then, which would give him enough information to see whether or not Harper is going to be able to hack it at first base. And if he is, then they can get Kyle Schwarber out of left field and they can and they can uh, trade for a corner outfielder, a right-handed corner outfielder like Adam Duvall, Lane Thomas, or somebody of that ilk. Um, I know there was some rumors going around. We talked a little bit about it. Paul Goldschmidt uh, potentially being added at first base, but that doesn't work if you're going to put Harper at first base. And right now, that is certainly the plan. All right, let's jump into the mailbag here to finish off the podcast. And we're going to go, and this will always be the case, whenever we get the voice memos, um, they'll always get the, the first play here on the podcast. And want to just remind you, when it, when we do a mailbag, and really, you can submit a question or a comment you anytime you want to, uh, and get and and if you'd like to get on the podcast, that's the best way to do it. Just record a voice memo on your phone, or if you've got recording equipment at home and you want to you want to make an MP3 of something and email it to us, you can do that as well. But the easiest way to do it is just record. You know, you've everybody's got some kind of voice recorder on their phone, whether it's an Apple or a a, a, a Google phone or whatever whatever the non Apple phones out there are at this point. I don't know what they are. Um, just record yourself on, in your voice memo and your voice recorder and email it to hittenseason at billypen.com. Again, that's Billy uh, hittenseason at billypen.com. It's really, really easy. Just do that, and you can ask your question there, or you can leave a comment for us there, and we'll play it on the show so that uh, so that you can hear it back. And anyway, uh, we had one of those come into us this week. Uh, Paolo Sousa is a sent a voice memo talking about Ranger Suarez. So let's give a listen to that. Hey guys. I uh, love the show. This is a voice memo from France. Um, I just wanted to know, what do you guys think? Ranger Suarez is our number one. Thoughts? So, is Ranger Suarez a number one? Um, and, and this is actually going to be, uh, I'm going to dovetail this with uh, another question I got from NASCAR Philly at... Anon in Philly, uh, where he asked, is Ranger the true ace of the team? Yes or yes? <laughs> Thanks. Um, and, you know, I 
I love Ranger. Love what he's doing. He's been their best pitcher over the last uh, six starts, over the last month and a half. Uh, I sir, I predicted that he would be an All Star at the start of the season. I don't think I, I think he got too late of a start in order to make the All Star team. Although Philly Rob is the National League manager, so if he gets a say and can bring somebody aboard, maybe it's Zach Wheeler, maybe it's Ranger Suarez. But um, I think Ranger Suarez right now is is pitching their best baseball. But you still have to say that the the ace is Zach Wheeler. Uh, and, and it just will be, he, he has Rangers, uh, uh, Zach Wheeler has more of an ability to stop a, a losing streak, to shut a great offense down in game one of a playoff series. I, I think his stuff plays up that way. He's been the victim of some bad luck this year on balls in play. I still think Zach Wheeler's stuff and how he uses it and how he gets guys. I know Rangers numbers are looking better than Zach's right now, but I still believe Zach Wheeler is this team's ace. Could you call Ranger Suarez a co-ace? I suppose given the way he's pitching right now, you could. You could also say the same thing for Taiwan Walker. He's pitching just as good right now. Not, I, mean, I can't say just as good. Pretty close to as good as Ranger Suarez. Taiwan Walker has been outstanding here in the month of June after a very, very rough start to the season. But I think those guys are a tier below Zach Wheeler. I would still consider Zach Wheeler to be the ace of this team. Now, that's not to say Ranger Suarez couldn't get paid if he if the Phillies um, thought about a, a contract extension for him. And uh, Joe Barton at Joseph Barticus tweeted, what does a multi-year deal for Ranger Suarez look like? I think if it were to happen now, he still has two more years of arbitration left. So you'd be paying for his last two arbitration years, and you'd also likely want to buy out his first, you know, what three free agent years? Um, maybe first footman. He might he might say first four free agent years. Um, take him into his early thirties. You're probably looking. I would guess at a contract of around six years, 125 million dollars. That would start next year. It would take you through his late twenties and into his early thirties. That would be a just under 21 million dollars a season. And I think that's. I think that's less than what Max Freed is looking to get. I think Freed is kind of looking in the 140 to 150 million dollar range, and I don't think Suarez has reached Max Freed's level yet. Um, again, I don't think you could consider him a number one. I think Ranger Suarez might be working himself into number two starter territory. And while he has had a very good track record these last few years, it is limited. Right, I mean, he was he was lights out uh, transitioning from the bullpen to the starting rotation uh, in the 2021 season. Last year, he had a rough first half uh, as a as an everyday starter, but then really picked it up in the second half of 2022. And then we saw him uh, how good he was in the postseason, with the exception of, the, of that first Braves game in Game One of the NLDS in Atlanta, where he just clearly was a little bit too excited. Uh, we just saw how cool he was. The great World Series start, closing out Game Five of the NLCS, just some some great moments there. And after uh, his and after his his elbow or his what was it? Uh, I forget what his injury was. Now his forearm was he have a forearm problem? I forget. Anyway, after coming back, he now he he's looking great. But is there enough of a track record to give him more something more than that? I don't, I wouldn't feel comfortable giving more than that. And I would feel most comfortable with five years at say like $110 million. 
that's that's where I would feel most comfortable. My guess is a deal probably would be more like six years and $125 million. That's just my best guess. All right, uh, Nick Castellanos's top button at Yarisi on Twitter asks me, we've all thought about it. What are your walk-up songs? I would like to go out of the box with walk-up songs. You know, I don't, nothing contemporary. Nothing contemporary. And it would all be kind of, cringy 80s music um stuff that most people would probably be embarrassed to have blaring through i mostly because i'd want it to kind of sound funny i would kind of want it to sound out of place so that's why i would choose sailing by christopher cross you know sailing takes me away and i don't even know the rest of the words to the song but i that song reminds me of being in my mom's station wagon running errands in the night in the early 1980s uh, as she would drive us around from department store to department store to grocery store to joanne fabrics uh, and the hearing hit that song come on the easy listening station on the radio it actually has a nice memory associated there um and i would do it just because i think it would be funny i think people in the stands would be like what is this how how <laughs> How is this walk-up music for a baseball game? Uh, Careless Whisper by Wham would also work. Uh, and I'm a sax guy, so Baker Street by the Jerry Rafferty Band um, is, just a, is just a good time. Uh, so those would be my three uh, walk-up songs, I think, just because I would, I would like to hear that kind of stuff blaring through the speakers of a Major League Baseball stadium and have most of the fan base going, what is this nonsense? It has no place being anybody's walk-up music. Uh, Jersey Josh at Mr. Jersey Josh asks, qualifying offer to Reese Hoskins. Would they? Should they? Um, do you want to pay? I don't. I mean, I don't know what the qualifying offer is going to be. Let me see if I can figure out how much that's going to be. Last year, it was just under $20 million. So my guess is that the qualifying offer will be somewhere in the range of 23 to $25 million for a one-year deal. Do you want to pay Reese Hoskins 23 to $25 million next year on a, on a reconstructed knee when you don't really know what you're going to get and it'll probably decrease his mobility even further? I love Reese Hoskins. Um... I wish this hadn't happened, but if I'm the Phillies, I don't think I'm offering a qualifying offer to Reese Hoskins. No, no, I don't think I'm doing that uh, because I also don't think, what would his free agent market be? Would he get 23 to $25 million a year over a course of a two-year? Like he's not going to get anything more than a two-year deal. I think that he might even be willing to return on a one-year deal for less than the qualifying offer. I don't think anybody's going to offer them offer him that much money. And so I don't think the Phillies would do it because I think that they would think that they could get him back on a cheaper deal if they wanted to. But if Bryce Harper's working out at first base, you still have Kyle Schwarber under contract for, what is it, another two years after this? So he can't go back into the outfield. He, he can't, Kyle Schwarber just can't play the outfield. So he's probably your full-time DH moving forward, which means Harper's got to play somewhere. He's got to play first base. And maybe by next year, Harper's elbow is recovered enough for him to go back to the outfield. But then, and then you move Nick Castellanos over to left field or something like that. Um, but I think if you, if you want to keep Bryce Harper at first base, and if he shows like he can play, then you just, you, you're not even, 
you're not bringing Reese Hoskins back for anything at that point. So no, I think there are more reasons not to do the qualifying offer than to do it. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense uh, to me where I sit right now. Uh, Tom Robson at Thomas M. Robson asks, we're starting to see speculation about who the Phillies might target in a trade, but I'm curious as to your guesses about when we'll see it. We'll see trade season really kick into gear. I think teams around baseball are going to start to really get into it after the all-star break. I think you'll see a couple of straight trades every now and then, but after the all-star break is when people usually get serious about adding pieces. Um, I think the Phillies need to wait and see about Bryce Harper's ability to play first base, because I really do think, I don't think they're in the starting pitching market. Um, I don't think that they're, if they add another starter, it's going to be a depth guy. Maybe they add a number five starter. Um, I think they want to see what Chris Sanchez has. I think they want to try and get Andrew Painter, um, well enough, healthy enough to potentially be their number five starter. I don't think they want to go out and sign some middling guy or trade for some middling guy only then to just like not use him once Andrew Painter's around. So I just don't see them. I don't see them making a deal for a starting pitcher unless it's a depth guy that they can move back and forth between the majors and AAA. And I don't think there's any other positions on the field where you can really do anything. Um, although I, I I will add um, one question here that came in um, to to the uh, hit and season email. It's not a voice memo. It's just a, a, a written question. Uh, but Joshua Byler asks. There have been a lot of rumors about a deal for Goldschmidt, but between Cody Clemens, Harper's prep work, and Derek Hall, we keep forgetting about Derek Hall could be ready to return to the team at some point here. Um, He could actually be called up this week from what I was reading. It seems they have first base pretty well covered, which I agree. Wouldn't it make more sense to upgrade the team at third base, according to Joshua? And I was speculating about this on Twitter a little bit this week, too, because if you look at Alec Bohm's numbers— he has been worth negative 0.1 FR so far here in 2023. He's been below Lee. He's been below replacement level and just right at replacement level. So essentially the production Alec Bohm has given you at third base and first base is what you would expect from somebody that you just called up from the minors. We should be beyond this right now with Alec Bohm. He was supposed to be this great hitter, but he's just not. He's, he's just mid all around. He's he's not gonna he's not hitting for more power. He's never going to be, and I agree with Joshua. He says he's never gonna be an above average defender at third base. His defense even though his defense has improved, he says, couldn't you package Bohm with some prospects and get a good to great third baseman? Uh Rafael Devers or uh Arenado? Um, no on Devers. Boston's not trading Devers. Arenado, I think St. Louis could look to move Nolan Arenado. Could you send Bohm to St. Louis in that deal? Yes, but that's not even close to being the headliner of that deal. You'd be sending him in there just to send them somebody who can play third base. You just mentioned, why would a team be willing to give you anything valuable for a player who's been worth negative 0.1 FR so far in 2023 and has never been more than, as much as a two-win player in baseball? He's a below-league average hitter for the positions that he plays. So could I see an upgrade at third base making sense? I could if you move Alec Bohm in that deal. And maybe that is something that that they consider because Edmundo Sosa is not the everyday third baseman. That's just not, that's not something that can happen. Josh Harrison is not that guy. 
Um, once Bryce Harper moves to first base full-time, Alec Bohm takes over third base full-time, and maybe that helps him with his offense a little bit. Maybe moving back and forth between the two positions has been a problem. I don't really think it has been. I think this is just what Alec Bohm is. And it's if the star players on this team step up, then you can live with Alec Bohm playing like a replacement-level player at third base. If Trey Turner steps up his game, right? If if Nick Castellanos keeps doing what he's doing, if Bryce Harper steps up his game, if JT Realmuto does, then you can get away with Alec Bohm being a, a zero to one win player. It's not ideal. And I don't think, I don't think you sign him long-term. I know there's been a lot of comparisons about him and Michael Franco. I think Michael Franco was slightly more productive because at least he hit 23 to 25 home runs a year. Bohm's on base percentage and, and batting average aren't that much better than Michael Franco's. But at this point, I think you're going to see trades happen after the All-Star break and not until, I would say, in the July 20s for the Phillies. I don't think the Phillies are going to make a move before like July 25th. I would say July 25th would be my over-under date for the Phillies making moves. Um, Chris at Canonical Chris asks, uh, Major League Baseball gives you the unilateral ability to put one and only one former Phillies player in the Hall of Fame who are you choosing? So I'm going to be a little strategic with this because my initial answer would have been to say Chase Utley because I think he's the most deserving, but I think Chase is going to get in someday. I think Jimmy Rollins should get in, but I think if I could choose one player who I think should be in the, one former Philly who should be in the Hall of Fame, give me Ryan Howard. Give me Ryan Howard because he's never going to get in. He doesn't, I mean, and in clear, his, his career does not warrant Hall of Fame status. But his peak was unlike any power hitter's peak in baseball history. And he was as electrifying a player that to wear a Phillies uniform as ever wore one. And just for that reason alone, I'd put him in the Hall of Fame. If I could just, if I could just wave a magic wand, I'd do it. It, I, I'm, so maybe I'm looking at this question in a little bit of a different way. I think um, if I had to choose, and, and if I'm not going to go Ryan Howard, then I would probably go Jimmy Rollins because I think the chances of Rollins actually earning the 75% that he needs to get in are slim. It could happen. I think Chase Utley one day will get into the Hall of Fame. I think he will. He's, he reminds me so much of Scott Rowland. I know Rowland's overall numbers are a little bit better, but I think that, I think. Utley's journey to Cooperstown will mirror that of Scott Rollins. Very similar way to get there. Jimmy Rollins is going to have a harder time. And I think if you look at some of the counting stats and some of the, the combination of power and speed that Jimmy gave you and how durable he was and his postseason success, his ability to hit in the clutch, all those extra things that you look for from players, Jimmy Rollins has them. And so, yes, I would put Jimmy Rollins in the Hall of Fame if I could. All right, finally, uh, Rob Fida. Fida, I'm not sure how you pronounce your last name, Rob, but it's at Rob Fida, F-I-D-A. He asks, who do you think will end up being a better hitter, Marsh or Bohm? I think we're seeing Marsh. He's a better hitter right now. Um, I would not have said that either when when the season started, but um, Marsh definitely has issues with left-handers. And I think he's mostly... I think he's probably a platoon center fielder, but when you're the left-handed side of a platoon, you're going to play 75 to 80% of the time, so that's fine. You can have a long career as the left-handed side of a center field platoon. Um, Alec Bohm is probably not a platoon player, but 
he he just he doesn't do enough. He I don't think he's as good a hit. I don't think he's going to have as productive a hitting career as as Brandon Marsh is. Which again, I think you look at these two guys, you would say, oh, Bohm's got the better pedigree. Bohm's the Bohm's the better going to be the better hitter. But if you just look at what we've seen, if you just use your eyes, Brandon Marsh has been a better hitter this year. He's been very 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 streaky. Bohm's been very consistent in his mid. Marsh has been a little bit more up and down riding riding the waves, riding the roller coaster. But right now, I think Brandon Marsh will end up being a better hitter in their career than Alec Bohm, which, again, is, is kind of shocking to me. I, I would not have thought that. All right, it's time for our stat of the week. And this comes to us from our stat guru at the Good Fight Schmenkman. Follow him on Twitter, by the way. He has great stats at TGP Schmenk, S-C-H-M-E-N-K. He noted that with three home runs in the game against the Cubs on Wednesday night, the Phillies have now hit exactly 1,500 against the Cubs, and that ties the Cubs with the Braves for the most home runs the Phillies have hit against any team. The the Phillies have hit 1,500 home runs against the Cubs and 1,500 against the Braves uh, in their long-storied history. The number three team, kind of a surprise um, based on the fact they typically didn't play them all that often the san francisco giants at 1338 and maybe a lot of those came when the giants were in new york uh, the cardinals when they were nl east foes are fourth on the list at 1274 and again the pirates when they used to play in the nl east are fifth at 1225 the cubs the braves the cardinals and pirates all make sense the giants don't, don't make any sense at all um, but again i think some of that must have been when the giants were a new york-based team all right, folks, that's going to do it for this edition of Hit and Season. And thank you to everyone who sent in questions. And again, a reminder, to, you can always you can always email questions or comments for the Hit and Season podcast at hitandseason at billypen.com. Send them in by voice memo or just by regular email. You can do it that way, too. Uh, make sure to subscribe to the Hit and Season podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcast. Make sure you hit our Billy Penn landing page, billypenn.com slash hit and season is where you can find all of our hit and season stuff and just want to remind you also to check out the hit and season patreon sign up on one of the tiers to get all kinds of bonus podcast action the dirty inning absolutely hammered and some hit and season movie reviews that justin and liz do that's over at patreon.com slash hit and season thanks everybody for tuning in we'll talk to you next time here on hit and season 